HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to HRN Happy Hour. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is our happy hour show. I'm your host, Kat Johnson, and I'm joined today by guest co-host Jordan Werner. Hey. Um, our, uh, my typical co-host is out today. She's feeling a little under the weather, so we're going to send some good vibes to Katie Mosman-Wadler. Um, I also have Patrick Martins in studio. Hello. He is the founder of Heritage Radio Network. The happiest member of them all. Exactly. And a perennial guest yes. here on HR and Happy Hour. And our special guest today is Kate Brashers. She is the executive director of Edible Schoolyard New York. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to talk um, a little bit more about Edible Schoolyard and the upcoming benefit later on with Kate, uh, but she's going to be here hanging out with us in the meantime. Awesome. Okay, so a lot's been going on at Heritage this week. Um, first of all, I want to talk about our trip to MOFAD last Friday. Woo-woo. Yeah, we, Jordan and I and um, Katie and the rest of our intern team, we all took a trip to see MOFAD's exhibit, Chow, the making of the Chinese American restaurant. And um, th- that was actually my second time going. I went, went with Patrick and the Heritage Foods USA team as well. But uh, Jordan, what were your thoughts? I could have spent all day playing in that curtain of takeout boxes. I had so much fun. Now, each one of those takeout boxes represents, I believe, 250 Chinese restaurants? It's actually seven. Oh, seven. Seven Sorry. each. But if you've seen that curtain, it's a lot of boxes and yeah. a lot of restaurants. How many more? There's like way more Chinese restaurants than there are McDonald's's, right, in this country. There are more Chinese restaurants than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined. Combined, wow. And that's a Dave Arnold quote that I read today when I was Dave Arnold on the blog. says it. <laughs> no, it's true. And there's a, it's very pertinent with this whole exclusion act, you know, the thing that Trump has tried to enact. Uh, the longest exclusion act was against the Chinese. I believe mm-hmm. it lasted almost a century. Right. Yeah. Right? That's and they, one thing that Kate 
nice sound effects, David. That's one thing that Kate Dobday, who um, works at MoFad, it makes a good point about it. She's like, I remember learning about that in high school, and I thought it was uh, a couple years, but it was actually like 60 plus. Yeah. And actually, I'm on the board of MoFad, and the uh, one of the conversations with the board is that, uh, you know, should we take a political stance on this? And, you know, I voted towards yes, absolutely, because our whole exhibit right now is about that. Whereas if it had been a different exhibit that had nothing to do with it, maybe it would be awkward. But we brought up that issue of should nonprofits get into political issues of the day? And does that hurt our chances for getting funding or Mm -hmm. does that increase chances of us getting funding because we're standing up for causes that we believe in? So it's yeah. an interesting debate. It's not even like they have to take a political stance on it. It's a they have a poster that they've kind of blown up that was an actual poster that was that would have been like you know pasted on a wall in the street mm-hmm. about the exclusion act. It's kind of like you you kind of let that speak for itself. So, Well, by the way, MoFat is such an interesting thing. I mean, if you would have asked 500 years ago when the first Natural History Museum started for people to predict, will there be more food museums in the world in the next millennium? Or will there be more natural history museums with stuffed wildlife? I think everybody <laughs> would have said food, of course. Yeah. So how to grow it? Uh, what breeds of lamb are you raising? What seeds do you have? And yet there's not a single food museum in the entire world. Not one. MoFat is literally the first. There are a lot of museums about like honey or, you know, but not a food museum, you know, all encompassing. So we love what they do. They're a partner of ours. Um, They are actually having their spring benefit dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. I think that they're probably at capacity for that, but they also are having an after party, a night market after party and tickets are still available for that. So you can go on to our Facebook and our Twitter and we have a link for that. If you're interested in going to that tonight, uh, I'll probably be there. So come dance, come drink. I'll be there. Um, also last night we had our first members only happy hour, um, where we're calling it books and brews because a lot of our HR and hosts are also published authors. So we wanted to have a kind of a showcase for them and also be able to invite our members to come hang out with us. So we had our first books and brews happy hour at threes outpost in Greenpoint, which is a pop-up, but they're probably going to extend through the summer. It's at the corner of Franklin and Kent. I highly recommend going and checking that space out. It's beautiful. Yeah. Apparently it was a French restaurant before, and they didn't redecorate anything. They just like took the menu down and turned it into a bar, mm. and it makes way more sense as a bar than it did as a French restaurant. <laughs> it was very cool. Well, obviously the French restaurant's out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, there's a catering company that runs out of that space as well called Purse Lane, and so they're doing a limited menu for threes, and it just... It's kind of everything you want on a sunny Greenpoint afternoon. Hmm. So check it out. And we'll be doing more of our Books and Brews uh, member happy hours monthly. Our next one will be at Roberta's in May. And we're going to be featuring Katie Kiefer's new book. What's that one? You put me on the spot. But how, I don't know the title of it. How is the last I do, one? I do. Well, what is it? Oh. It's called What's the Matter with Meat? There you go. Oh, nice. All right. Good. Now, how did, was it well attended? I mean, it was your first one. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're having them at spaces where we're not totally renting the space out. So it's um, people are free to come and go. And you can count those people even though they have nothing to do with the event. That's exactly. smart. Exactly. <laughs> um, we send out invitations to our members only. So if you would like to be invited to our, our member only, members only happy hours, go be a member of Heritage. What does that cost? $60? That's for the household membership. We okay. also have some lower tiers for students and cool. things like that. So, um, yeah, our, yesterday's featured Kathy Irway's book, The Food of Taiwan, and I definitely bought a copy. 
It's a beautiful book. It's a gorgeous book. The yeah. photography in there is awesome. There's a whole cool part about stinky tofu. Kathy was mm-hmm. telling me all about that. So, wow. cool. Uh, one other highlight I want to share from um, the network this week is that Ferment About It had their 200th episode. And if you don't know, Ferment About It is a show all about fermentation. And the guest was Nate Hodge from Rocka Chocolate. And Husband you, to Catherine Greeley. Who works for Heritage Foods she USA. She owns it. Everybody, yeah, everybody's in the family somehow, you know? Um, but if you don't know what Rocket Chocolate is, they're making virgin chocolate in Red Hook. And they also recently did a collaboration with Winsun, the Taiwanese restaurant in East mm-hmm. Williamsburg. And Winsun put this five-spice chocolate on an ice cream sandwich with condensed milk. Pretty Sounds life-changing. <laughs> so now what does virgin mean? That means unfiltered, right? Unroasted. Unroasted. Mm-hmm. So it's so, just raw. It feels a little more granular kind of thing. A it little. doesn't. It's really smooth. The thing is that they, um, a lot of people that are you know proponents of virgin chocolate say that when you roast it, you lose a lot of the uniqueness of, di- mm. of the different beans you're using. Um, so they they have like a bourbon barrel chocolate. They do this five spice chocolate. They do, I think, one with coconut. Um, everything is just very you know unique and flavor forward. Yeah. Kind of funky. It has a little bit of yeah. a funky taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we. Uh, I think we still do. We use their um, the waste from the chocolate as a mulch for our um, gardens in Brooklyn. Really? So our gardens yeah. sometimes smell of chocolate. It's really Very cool. nice. That's delightful. <laughs> Gotta smell like something. Chocolate ain't so bad. Right. Um, okay. So on to favorite headlines of the week. Jordan, do you want to start with your favorite headlines? So wait, we finished HRN headlines. Now we're going to headlines of the world. Headlines, headlines of, the of the world. Do you have a key song for that, David, in the studio? We need a theme song for... Anything that sounds like headlines of the world, uh, an easy one. one. Give me yeah, one I forgot. Patrick was like, "Get some news and music in there." <laughs> Just record that and use that. All right, start. So, <laughs> he can do it mid, mid. There. Hey. Nice. Wow, like this it. better right. be serious. We're kicking it off in Canada, so you know it's serious. Oh yeah, we need music for Canada. <laughs> legal weed? Is it legal weed? It is legal weed. How'd you know? I get all the newsletters. I didn't pick this headline because of legal weed. I picked it because of Justin Trudeau, just so you know. Uh, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, today introduced a weed legalization bill um, that is expected to pass. Apparently it was one of his campaign promises. And the um, it would make, if it passes, it will make Canada the second country in the world to have fully legalized recreational marijuana um the first is uruguay uruguay oh, they're doing uruguay. pretty well yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i just wanted to talk about justin trudeau that's why i picked it Sorry, guys. so wow you really prepared a big uh <laughs> how's it expounded on that one we're being concise here i'm too busy pitter-pattering re- someone regular me rachel like, maddow there yeah wow that's very thanks for that in-depth report <laughs> But uh, you obviously have a crush on Justin Trudeau. That's all who we could conclude from yeah, that. But it sounds to me like if in Canada weed was legalized, nothing would change. Yeah, so like, they were saying that none they of them would, would be smoke fair. weed anyway. They would be regulating it like cigarettes, which are regulated through the state um, or through the province. Sorry, and you would like be able to buy your marijuana at the store where you buy your beer and your cigarettes. Hmm. So a little bit of extra tax money for Canada. 
Well, I have always thought that once they legalize weed, I would love to be part of like the magazine, like the wine spectator, but for weed that starts to rate them. Because whenever you buy weed, you can't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get the same supply each time. So each high is different. Whereas if it was legalized, then there could be certain terroirs that specialize in it and you could keep going back for the same. Be like, there was something a little different about it this time. What was it? And talk to the actual purveyor and it could be all, you know. It doesn't have to be like in your hallway outside your apartment, you know, anymore (laughs) from like some fifth rate delivery guy. It's like cigar aficionado. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Someone's stoned in the studio. (laughs) Or in the engineering booth. Kat, wasn't there a panel at Cherry Bomb Marketplace? Yes. Or mar- yeah, Marketplace. About- I was actually just saying, I saw Sue Chan. She moderated this panel about how to start an edible business. Edibles business, I guess you'd say. Really? Yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, but- who could eat just one? <laughs> <laughs> but we uh, we did, uh, we were there and we recorded all the panels at Cherry Bomb Jubilee and Cherry Bomb Jubilee Marketplace. So... Um, David, do you know like when those are expected to be on our website? Uh, well, Carrie has said that she wants to put them out over the summertime. She oh. hasn't given us a date yet, but um, so coming, yeah, soon. coming soon. Stay tuned. Yeah, it's exciting. So. All right, are change. you going to mention the Jubilee? I mean, that's one of your top-rated shows that yeah. had their first ever marketplace and their fourth ever annual Jubilee. Yeah, that was this weekend um, at the Highland Hotel. I was there for the Marketplace. Mm -hmm. Still never been to the Jubilee Day itself, but the Marketplace was really cool. Um, It was, you know, fairly small first year, um, but there were a lot of awesome people there. There was Jordan Salcedo was there with her uh, wine cooler line called Ramona. Um, You had uh, Ellen Bennett was there selling her aprons. Um, There was a new cool company called Polka Pants, and they Mm -hmm. are making like chef pants designed for women and they have like big polka dots on them. I th- thought they were so cool. Um, lots of food vendors. You had Stumptown coffee. You had organic girl. Um, it was just a really fun day. We, uh, did a raffle basket and had a little info table for heritage. And, Who won? Um, someone named domain. I think, uh, we raised like a, a that's good, that's not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like someone that heritage foods planted not to have to give the actual product. Aren't they one of our sponsors? No comment. Aren't they a wine storage company? They're one of our they sponsors. Are, but that was the name on the ticket. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but yeah, we raised some money. The basket had like a jewel sous vide in it. You Patrick generously, generously donated some Wagyu from heritage foods. So that was like a really good combination. So that is Carrie Diamond's event, right? Annual yes. event. And she's the host of Cherry Bomb. Cherry Bomb. Radio Cherry Bomb. And they also have a great magazine, which you can subscribe to, right? Yes. And uh, there's one of our membership tiers. I can't remember which one. But that when you pay for that membership level, you get a subscription of Cherry Bomb. Oh, very awesome nice. Magazine. So it is a great <clears throat> So now a quiz for you. I know quiz is a big part of your show and that you're really proud of it. So a quiz to you. What time... An hour does Cherry Bomb premiere each week? Thursdays at uh, three, one. Two. one. David, is she right? That is correct. Oh, very good. It took All me right. longer than it should have, <laughs> but I got it. Patriarch. It's 35 shows a week. That's a lot to remember. What was the first show to ever air on Heritage Radio Network? The main course of Patrick Martin. Thank you very much. <laughs> Man, you're really you're getting ahead of us with the That's trivia. That's good. <laughs> two for two, though. Um, okay, so back to my my news. Yes. So I'm from Alabama, and I don't know if anybody's been keeping up with Alabama news, but our governor resigned. Um, I I can't even get into it. It's a whole story. 
But well, another in-depth <laughs> report on heritage. No, but I, I have a but I have a fun Can't fact. Get into it. So I don't. I think this is more of a southern state thing. But uh, um, when you enter the state of Alabama on the highway. Um, the sign says, welcome to Sweet Home Alabama. And then underneath that, you have a sign that says the governor's name. So the, the day he resigned, disgracefully, they pulled the signs down and are having to replace them with our new governor's name, who's Kay Ivey. Um, by the way, War Eagle, she's an Auburn grad, and that's where I went to school. So I'm slightly proud of that. Um, but can you guess how much it costs to replace 75 of these highway signs? In Alabama? Yeah. $2 million. $100. <laughs> You guys really, really split there. <laughs> it's one, somewhere in $1. between. It's six hundred and fifty thousand. One dollar, Bob. Lower, four hundred. So it's sixteen thousand. Sixteen thousand. So what does that come to per sign? What is that? What come to per sign? Sixteen thousand divided by seventy-five. I don't know what that is per sign. Sixteen thousand. Who has a cell phone? Divided by. <laughs> Somebody has a cell phone. Well, that's still very expensive. So are you yeah. shocked by how expensive that is or not? Because they have to make I, I a mean, new sign. I guess it, like, it if you think there. about it, it's not that expensive, yeah. but it seems like a kind of a needless cost. Like, why do you need to, why does someone driving into your state need to, like, know at that moment who the governor also, is? Also, does that mean this is a cost that they have to incur every time a new governor is elected? Yes. $213 yes. per sign. That actually sounds like a bargain. That's Sorry. Yeah. I yeah. know that, that your crack reporting there has not had... That was like a, it was an episode of The Simpsons where they were like, there was enough waste to fill the Grand Canyon two fifths of the way. People love fun facts and numbers and statistics, so that's why I went with that. Story. Yeah, that's true. Seventy five percent of people love statistics. <laughs> Thanks, David. All right, Patrick. Well, what's your story? Um, I have a crush on Justin Trudeau. That is all. <laughs> No, I uh, well, I was interested in Kim Severson's article. You know, she's one of the few people that writes actual interesting articles for the New York Times food section. I, it always takes me, like, the time it takes me to get from the 12th floor where I live to the lobby is usually how long it takes me to read the food section of the New York Times. Because <laughs> it's such a style thing. You know, there's so little substance. They don't talk about global warming. They don't talk about feed costs. They don't talk about what's happening in agriculture. They talk about like a new pot or pan. And Pete Wells, they spend all this time about what restaurant that guy likes. And that's always like featured on the cover of the Times. I'm like, that is the top story that you guys came up with to lead with. But anyway, I like Kim Severson. <laughs> she seems to have inherited Marion Burroughs's kind of position as a, as a reporter that talks about real interesting things. So she wrote an article about how lamb is quickly surpassing ham as the go-to meat for Easter and for centerpiece occasions. And I wanted to ask, I mean, do you guys really think that it'll ever get to the point where a lamb leg will be the go-to centerpiece for holidays the way the ham is and you know where that we would overcome this new zealand australia importation thing and farmers will start opening farms just to raise lamb i mean do you see that as a trend out in the field i think i do of course like being from the south i'd never ate lamb growing up i don't it was just like was never around and then i moved up here and you know i started eating it in restaurants more often like i think the first time i really distinctly remember having lamb actually was at mission chinese mm. They do a really mm. good uh, cumin lamb there. Um, so I eat lamb a lot now, and I used to think I hated it, and now I love it. So I think that's maybe the same with a lot of people. Yeah. Right. I'm from England, and we're big into lamb. We're big into lamb. And mutton? You eat mutton, too? 
Uh, yeah, I used to when mm-hmm. I was growing up. So that was like readily available at the butcher shop, old yep, lamb? it was, yeah. Wow. And what qualifies? I don't know if you know the answer to this. but What qualifies as mutton? Yeah, when does lamb? it become mutton? I don't know. I'd be making it up. <laughs> I could give you an answer, but it, yeah, it's not true. It's a year old, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a year or one two or two, old. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, anyway, I hope Kim's right. Yeah. Lamb's a low-maintenance animal. Really? I think. Goat, lamb. I, I think also you can't factory farm lamb, which is maybe one of the reasons why mm. it hasn't taken off here, because farmers, it's True. really hard to produce it. it. That's actually, I've heard, if you go to a restaurant where you don't know if they source sustainably by ordering lamb or goat, you're kind of more protected. The yep. chance of it being a commodity product is less. Yep. Interesting. It's hard for a distributor to sell lamb in cuts because the mm-hmm. lamb ribs is hard to move. The chops are so small. You know, the pig is a more approachable animal or the cow mm-hmm. in terms of uh, being able to move all the cuts and restaurants knowing what to do with them. I'm going to actually try to cook a lamb rack sometime soon. I have one in my freezer from Heritage Foods. Oh. So that'll be an Tell adventure. Tell us how it goes. I will. Invite us over for the second or third try. Yeah, right. Once you get it down. <laughs> Never want to be the guinea pig. Or well, the lamb. Or the lamb. Yeah. And we are <laughs> right, lamb for to sure. the slaughter. <laughs> and then any weather report, global warming news. We had a very interesting show last week. We talked a lot about weather last week. The weather is crazy. Yeah. Where's my Edison? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. need weather. That's the that's a news report. That's it relates to food. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Apparently things have come out almost a month earlier this year than they did last year. Don't mm-hmm. know if you talked about that in the gardens. Yeah. Because like, it, it, it got very confused. warm it got and then, very warm, and and now then they say cold. stone fruit are not going to grow. Has it affected yep. your garden at the edible square? Uh, we're not sure yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're not sure yet. But uh, it hasn't been there hasn't been a real cold snap thanks that since the buds broke, but it mm. did last year. That no, could mean no, no stone fruit yeah, for no farms because it confused, tricked the uh, stone fruit into budding, and then mm-hmm. they die, and that's it. You only get one yeah. chance. Even like the cherry blossoms and stuff like that that people you know have festivals around are popping up early. Yep, mm. it's pretty crazy. Well, anyway, let's speaking of gardens and stone fruit and all sorts of fruit and vegetables. I want to talk a little bit more to Kate about Edible Schoolyard. Kate, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in Edible Schoolyard? Yeah, so I've been at Edible Schoolyard about five years now. um, And most of my background actually is in consumer marketing. So I came to the States originally for business school and worked for various food and beauty companies. Um, And then once I started having children, I decided I wanted to do something a bit more more meaningful and kind of found my way to Edible Schoolyard and started there just as a temporary interim executive director and then never, never left. They they haven't been able to get rid of me. So Mm. I've been there about five years now and I just... um, just so uh, you know the work that we've done and the how we've grown over the past five years I'm really proud of um, we're in seven schools now so uh, reaching about 3,000 uh, kids in some of the most disadvantaged neighborhoods in New York City and teaching them about gardening and cooking and and growing food and caring for food and the environment and thinking about you know eating food together sharing food together building community around food and it's a it's a very special thing 
Now, the original uh, edible schoolyard was in Berkeley, right? Founded that's by right. Alice Waters. Yep. Yep. Martin Luther King High uh, School? That's or right. Middle, middle school. school yeah. Middle school, yeah. So uh, what is the connection? I mean, can yeah, you so we're Yeah, uh, so we're an affiliate program of that program. So we were, our founder here in New York, John Lyons, was on the board of the Edible Schoolyard project out in Berkeley and um, a close friend of Alice and decided that he wanted to bring the program here to New York. So we're very much in it inspired by Alice's vision and um, just have sort of tweaked the program a little bit to make it work for us here in New York, you know, different climate, different school system. Um, it's also the biggest school system in the country. There's, mm. uh, you know, one over a million school children here in New York City. So the, the scale is, is bigger and we want to we want to be in more schools. But Alice really was the pioneer and the visionary behind this program. Amazing, mm. amazing woman, as you know. What does a typical day at one of the gardens or one of the schools look like? So we um, we teach all school day every day. So in the garden, we'll be teaching maybe, you know, three or four lessons a day. Um, and we teach all the kids in the school. So some schools were elementary schools, so pre-K through fifth grade. So the kids, you know, in the spring and the summer, they'll be coming out into the garden um, they'll be doing some kind of gardening activity, um, you know, planting seeds or planning or, you know, deciding what they want to plant or uh, caring for something or mulching. Um, and then there'll also be an academic component of the lesson, too. So, you know, they might be doing a unit on farm workers rights, for instance, and learning about um, a farmer and what a farmer does or um, learning about you know the water system or different different parts of the food system so the kids in the garden are, are both academically learning about gardening and growing and also um, just hands-on working in the garden and then at the end of every garden class they have a tasting so they'll taste something usually something that's been grown in the garden although this time of the year it's a little tricky um, and um, and then you know, we always have volunteers who are working in the garden as well, and, and um, we do family programming as well, so pretty well used. And then we have kitchen classrooms as well, so again, we are teaching, you know, all, all school day and then do a lot of family programs and have families come in, kids come in with their families, and the kids will often teach the, their parents or their guardians what they've been doing in, in the kitchen classroom, which is really cool. So is the eventual goal of the Edible Schoolyard that a certain percentage of the meals are from the garden, or is that not really a goal? Because that's no, too ambitious, it's right? Too, we so can't, it's a separate battle. Yeah, we can't really produce enough food for the cafeteria, so we do a lot of work with school lunch and with the cafeteria and trying to increase salad bar consumption and working with other nonprofits that are specifically focused on the cafeteria. But what we're trying to do is just get kids excited about eating healthy food. So we're just exposing them to healthy food. We're getting them to taste new things, to cook new things, and hopefully, you know, be adventurous and, and healthy eaters and know about the food system and the food that they're eating. So when you look for a new school, is your biggest challenge the principal, the parents to vote for it, or do you go via the city or state? Um, there's much, much more demand for our program than we can meet. Oh, really? So it's rarely a, a problem of we, we can't find schools that, that are interested in having us. Um, 
But I think that once we're sort of in a school, then there is a process of really kind of understanding the community because every school is different. You know, we're in schools in Brooklyn, we're in schools in East Harlem, in Brownsville, and each school community and, and the parents and the families and the principal and the faculty are different. And so our program is very adaptable to the particular school community. And so there's a tremendous process of getting to know those schools and what what they're looking for and what you know what is appropriate for the kids to be eating and learning about and what and you know that's important because the kids want to eat and learn about things that have some connection with their culture and their background let's talk a little bit about the benefit because it's coming up this month very soon april 24th yes 10 days and it's a huge event. I was involved in the first couple of years when I worked with David Chang, who's the culinary chair, and just saw how many people it takes to pull off that yes. event. But it's such it's beautiful every single year. Um, tell us a little bit about yeah. where you are in the planning stages. Yeah, so we're, we're sort of in the final stages now. So we're sort of trying to wrap everything up. But it's... Um, you know, I think, obviously, I'm a little biased, a really cool event. So David Chang, actually, um, he curates 20 chefs who each cook a separate meal for two tables. So we basically build 20 kitchens in in the spaces that we're in. Um, And David, I I was saying this to Kat earlier, he he likened it to cooking in an airport bathroom. So, you know, it's a little tiny space that each chef has, but they... Where do I sign up? (laughs) (laughs) They, you know, they come out with these incredible meals. And Every guest has a really intimate experience because, you know, they're having a different a different experience. So I, I think that it really um, captures what we believe in and this power of bringing people together through food and building community through food in a in a very special way. So I got to ask, do people call and be like, I want to sit at this table or they don't yes. know? Yes, oh, we, <laughs> we, sure. we say that it's uh, you don't get any choice, but we certainly have some High people who, are, who definitely have particular tables that they want to sit at. And it, it's uh, it's kind of like a game of 3D chess, trying to do the seating and like figuring out where everyone should go and which chef they should get. Like uh, wedding plan, like wedding like seating. It's like wedding chart, planning to the max. Yeah, <laughs> Wow. Post-its. That's and, very anti-Alice. Yeah. Alice always maintains that everyone should sit at one long table, which I always so recommend. Many but this is yeah. Uh, different. Yeah, this, no, it still works. I, yeah. I remember after the first year, the first benefit, um, it was kind of a novel idea at the mm-hmm. time because was, yeah. everyone does these either a taster, like taste around where, you know, it's a it's a standing event and you walk to different chefs' tables. And I think chefs are kind of, a lot of chefs are really burnt out on that. Um, And it also wasn't a format where it was a seated dinner where a lot of times, um, you know, organizations. do different courses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was like, uh, each chef has total ownership over their meal and the experience. That yeah. tw- is it 20 guests? It's more or less 20 guests, yeah. So Hats. each chef, you know, there's about 400 guests in total. And it was actually Dave, David Chang's idea, you know, yeah. because we when we first, you know, we've been doing it five years now, but when we were first thinking about it, you know, we're like, you know, maybe we could get, you know, each chef to do a course. And he was like, you know, fuck that. <laughs> you know, we don't want to cook for 400 people. Dave, yeah. yeah. So and and it was kind of a brilliant idea because it does kind of create this really intimate experience. And it's a great experience for the chefs, too, because it's not too much to cook for 20 people. And for our guests, they're getting this absolutely amazing meal with a chef. You know, we bring chefs from out of town and from, you know, we had uh, Ruth Rogers from the River Cafe for the past couple of years, which has been really amazing. Um, so, you know, you, you get these chefs that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise, 
eat their food. So it's great for the chefs, it's great for our guests, and it, it, it makes it, I think, a really special evening. Yeah, not that anyone would listen to me, but I would say <laughs> don't request anybody particular because I think that's the fun in it is yeah, like totally. having a chef you've never had their food before. Yeah. And like this is a this is an event where they really bring it like they really do. And they, you know, I was looking at the menus. And I was like, they're not like dialing this in. They, yeah. you know, and they, I think, like it because they get to show their creativity and they can sort of step outside of what they, you know, might do in their restaurant. So it's it's I hope a good experience for them, too. I remember the first year Kyle Connaughton uh, participated, mm-hmm. and he brought like w- the weirdest like p- pot cookware from yes. Japan. It was the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah, and that was in that was in the venue with no running water. Yeah, so. yeah, the first year, no running water, no toilets. I still hear about the Great Toilet Crisis of <laughs> 2012 or whatever it was. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, it, it's it's the chefs. You know, they're they're such great partners for us. They really are. We're so so grateful to them because they are just so generous and so thoughtful and so um, caring about what we do. And 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 it really makes the event just so special. Yeah. And again, it's uh, April twenty fourth. April twenty fourth, week on Monday. There tickets are still, still tickets available. How much are tickets? They are. They start at fifteen hundred dollars. What? Yes, so that's good. That's raising money for a good cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big part of our budget. This event is. Um, and where will my, where will uh, pretend I was going? Mm-hmm. Where would my money go? So about half our annual budget is raised by this event every year. So it's a big, big part of our, our fundraising. And the, our biggest expenses are our salaries, so our teacher salaries. So How many teachers are on staff? We have, um, we have about 24 staff now oh. and uh, eight, 12 teachers, more or less. Wow. Yeah. So 30, 40 people, basically? Yeah, and this is in how that. many schools? Uh, we're in seven schools. Wow. wow. Yeah. And how many kids is being affected by this program? Uh, about 3,000 kids. Wow. wow. Yeah. So it's a good cause. Yeah, totally. It's a good cause. Yeah. It's and really oh, cause. I also wanted to mention Van Wick, who's been oh, doing yes. the it, event production. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So Van, Van Wick are a, um, another great partner of ours. They do, they basically trick out these spaces, they make them beautiful, they build everything you know we go in and we're in this raw space and they come up with some vision and and sort of build it out and again incredibly generous and and really make it special and and memorable and beautiful yeah okay so it's time it's time to do trivia see how much she knows about her craft (laughs) and by the way you like who else is in studio with us you have an entourage (laughs) Came with my entourage. <laughs> is this what we're paying for with the fifteen hundred? Your entourage? <laughs> no, my entourage is pro bono. Oh. And another great partner of ours, MLC Communications, who I should also shout out. Who are MLC an, Communications? MLC Communications. They are an amazing PR team, and we love them, and they are the best. So thank you, MLC. And <laughs> what is your guys' job to help promote Edible Schoolyard to the media and such? To tell the story? Tell the story. So give us the give us the headline. Top three things. Edible Schoolyard. Basic, MLC Productions. Giving giving New York City public school students the opportunity to lead healthier lives. All right. Very awesome. Yeah, that good. was Joe nice. <laughs> You're a professional. She's good. Okay. Better than me. They're gonna fire me. <laughs> All right. So is there a time limit? No, I mean we'll- Do we have buzzes? Take all social can- media away from her. No Googling. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Patrick, you're, you're playing trivia, too. 
I'm in on this. You are in on it. You don't know the answer, so you know you have to you have to help. Okay. All right. All right. So this trivia, um, we picked five of the neighborhoods. False. That <laughs> five, five neighborhoods that um, Edible Schoolyard's currently um, running programs in, and so yeah, we'll just jump right in. I think you're gonna like this. All right. I'm ready. Okay. So the first neighborhood is Gravesend, which was the first. Yes. Okay. So Gravesend is notable for being the only colonial American village founded by a woman. Lady Deborah Moody was the first female landowner in the New World after she founded the town in 1643. She had an unusual influence in a society dominated by men and was described by contemporaries as a dangerous woman. Dangerous Woman is the lead single from the third studio album of what pop star? Oh, man. <laughs> <I have> no <laughs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Beyonce. Blondie. Wrong. It's Simple Minds. Ariana Grande. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. I can tell this is not going to go well. Yeah, this is really your wheelhouse. They really pick things in their wheelhouse. Well, last week we had made trivia. Uh, Patrick do girly, girly pop culture trivia. And I did pretty good. I you think did. I was like 50, 60%. So you had Mike helping you, though. Mike Edison knows everything. Jeez. Oh, very feminine, Mike is. <laughs> the feminist, Mike Edison. Okay, next neighborhood, East Harlem. Okay, that was the second location, right? That was the second location, that's right. <laughs> okay, one of the most famous natives of East Harlem is Burt Lancaster, who was born at his parents' home on 106th Street in 1913. What was the last movie that Lancaster acted in? Oh. It was released in 1989. I'm going to keep giving you hints. Uh, ben Affleck and Matt Damon appeared in this movie as extras. Goodwill Hunting? No, they weren't extras. They weren't in extras that. in that. Burt Lancaster. Oh, I should know him. It is a sports themed movie. Basketball. <laughs> Basketball? Burt uh, Lancaster. Uh, so the one with uh, Tom Cruise, where he's the agent? Gene Hackman? Is Gene Hackman? Uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, The Field of Dreams? That's yeah. it. Ding! <laughs> That's true. I had to sneak in on Patrick for a second. Okay. All right. Now we're moving on to Morris Heights, Bronx. Okay. DJ Cool Herc was a Jamaican-American DJ who lived in Morris Heights and was credited for developing the blueprint for hip-hop. Herc used the record used the record to focus on a short, heavily percussive part known as the break. What is the nickname given to the young men and women who developed a new style of dance inspired by the break? Easy. Break dances? No. Close. Yeah, you're on the right track. It's, yeah, close. David, you know it? B-boys. And B-girls. Oh, yeah, uh. sure. <laughs> Come on. You only get that half right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you forgot 50% of the population. It was a misogynist time. I, not my <laughs> the Wikipedia page says B-boys and B-girls. So, all right. Uh, next neighborhood is Mount Eden Bronx. Okay, the small—it's a small neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So there's um, the small park there called Kelch Park. It was named for Reuben Kelch, who served on the River Gunboat USS Plymouth during World War II. But what fast food restaurant is located in Kelch Park? What neighborhood is it? Mount Eden in the Bronx. Mm. It's in the West West Bronx. Is that right? White Castle. 
No, you're close. Popeyes? I'll no. give you a hint. It was one of the restaurants that I mentioned when I was talking about... Justin Trudeau? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the Justin Trudeau restaurant. Bad no, uh, when I was talking about Chinese food restaurants earlier. It was McDonald's, Burger King, and... and... Wendy's. Yep. It's, like, it's like basically the only thing in that park. Can I just say Wendy's has the best fries of any fast food restaurant? <laughs> We've got a Wendy's loyalist in the city. going here. down. This trivia is taking a turn. We need trivia that's based off of the actual <laughs> skills of the guests to see if they're good at their job. Sometimes we just like to go a little... I see. That. Patrick, you can write it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. You're Never doing mind. good. You're doing fine. Okay. Last one. Bushwick. This is Bushwick, which is our this neighborhood, I'm gonna too. Get. Yay. You think? Yes, 100%. Okay, all right. Bushwick is a part of Community Board 4. CB4 is a 1993 American comedy Uh film starring Chris Rock and Charlie Murphy. Rest in peace. Oh. According to Charlie Murphy, after his first audition for the role of gangster Gusto, Chris Rock told him to act meaner. So what did Charlie Murphy do in his second audition to get the role? (laughs) Bring a gun? Yes! You got it! (laughs) It's a loaded gun. That's good. I think Kate wins. You're a great gardener and a great farmer. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up. It's Thank a great show. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to Kate Brashers for coming on and the team from MLC and Patrick Martins and my co-host for the week, Jordan Werner. I'm Kat Johnson, and this has been HR and Happy Hour. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.